Time for Radio Salon, and this is where we have a weekly discussion with our wonderful panelists. Uh, joining us here in the studio, as always, uh, from Laquant LLC, independent legal researcher, Professor Chung Huang. Good morning to you, sir. Morning, Henry. And also joining us from Yonsei University Institute for North Korean Studies, research fellow, Dr. Pong Yong-sik. Dr. Pong, good morning to you. Good morning. So we're going to talk about North Korea today, a host of different issues in regards to North Korea making headlines recently, including the anti-leaflet law, which now is being enforced because of one uh, alleged perpetrator who violated that law. And then so the uh, ensuing controversies that have occurred, including the U.S. congressional hearings on it, uh, some of the um, kind of more uh, volatile rhetoric coming out of North Korea from Kim Yajung, the sister of Kim Jong-un. And we're also going to take a look at the Biden uh, Biden administration's approach to North Korea with their so-called North Korea policy review, which they have apparently completed, although the details are still sketchy. So let's uh, take all of this point by point. Obviously, Dr. Bong has a lot to say since uh, this is, once again, his area of uh, expertise. Professor Huang, anti-leaflet law, Again, there are pros and cons to the issue. A lot of people um, talking about this uh, in terms of the uh, issue of freedom of expression and how maybe uh, people here are having their rights violated, not to mention, of course, the human rights situation in North Korea as well. The U.S. congressional testimony also having their say on it. Uh, where do you uh, stand on the issue, especially with the recent news about this person, Park Sang-hak, who had his office raided and obviously quite flagrantly and maybe in a more political way kind of uh, very publicly said, I'm going to violate this law. Right. I mean, I think this is turning into a kind of a political loser for the Moon administration in the sense that it's not like, you know, the Korean police didn't have, uh, you know, authority to regulate leaflets, maybe not as much as under this law, but, you know, even under, you know, the conservative uh, administrations, the police try to, you know, regulate you know, this area as much as possible. So it's not like, you know, the, the North-South Korea relations, inter-Korea relations have improved because of this law. There hasn't been much of an upside. Rather, there's been you know, a lot of criticism yeah. coming both from overseas and also from the domestic critics who are basically saying that this administration is doing the North Korean business. So, you know, with that kind of optics and with that much uh, upside, I think it's turning out to, uh, to be you know, political uh, liability for this administration. The You make an interesting point. This was never a, a partisan issue in the past. The Park administration also very famously was quite critical of these leaflets. And they also recognize the volatility and recognize the safety issues for those residents in the border areas, which is ostensibly the main reason why we're having this kind of uh, law in, in, put in the books is to address those concerns of those residents here. Uh, according to the notes here, Dr. Pong, um, with Park Sang-hak himself, um, is, he, is he not necessarily in line with, with the rest of the North Korea activist community in regards to this? Or is there there's something else going on, and and as far as him being sort of made the martyr of the situation, I guess uh, with with being the first to be uh, prosecuted, or at least um, in in maybe his supporters' views, persecuted by the police. There is a very unfortunate aspects of this uh, uh, whole situation because uh, Mr. Park does not seems to be genuinely interested in promoting the pro- supply of uh, information about the North Korean situations and the outside world to North Korean people, but. He seems to be more interested in you know, maximizing his own personal gains. In what what would of, be his personal gains? Like a financial support from the human rights um, you know, groups, especially those in the United States, um, you know, financial mm-hmm. support and international recognition. Um, it is up to him to be uh, a martyr, uh, but he's, he has to really 
seriously thinking about the consequences of his action, whether his action would be actually helpful for the general promotion of the activities uh, which aim at providing information to North Korean people and serving their rights to know and freedom of expression as well. Because right. other North Korean activists who have been engaging in uh, these leaflet you know, uh, operations, uh, so to speak, uh, to North Korean people, have been complaining that uh, because of the politicization of this activity, that actual supply of the leaflets to North Korea has been stalled or, uh, you know, stopped. So you have, to see, you have to do it right. You have to do it right. I mean, you have to do it secretly so that this should not be uh, politicized mm -hmm. or the, uh, criticized by the North Korean authority. You have to uh, provide the uh, circumstances and conditions under which these operations to help North Korean people continue. So, again, you have to do it right. If your operations are not really uh, made in a way that the, the leaflets will actually be reaching North Korean people, and the content of the leaflets are the ones that North Korean people would think twice about their situations and uh, learn objective realities about their situations, mm. then uh, I have to say that the politicization of these activities um, should be uh, detached from any attempts to maximize personal gains. I've always been curious about this. I'm wondering if you have first-hand knowledge or at least some, uh, is there any um, uh, kind of empirical data coming that, how effective are these leaflets? I know that there's one These, these are effective of... in terms okay, of providing information. Yeah. Uh, so the money, is that a big deal as well? They put the $1 bills and again, all Again, you have to do it right because uh, many North Korean uh, defectors testify that uh, they were really disappointed or angered when they discovered that those bills are fake bills. Really? Not real U.S. $1 bill. Or the content of the leaflets, only criticizing the supreme authority of North Korea would uh, be counterproductive because they... Uh, testify that they were angry at reading the content because of insult. It was insult to the, 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 their own government. So uh, rather than it helps separating themselves from the uh, North Korean authority, it would enhance their patriotism or their desire to protect mm -hmm. their nation because nobody wants to see their own government criticized by others. So you have to do it right in terms of delivering the kind mm. of content. So there are groups that do it right, in your view. Right. But this is not I this. I cannot reveal okay. names okay. or okay. their okay. operations, okay. but their operations have been extremely, um, you know, uh, how do I say, uh, stalled because of all these uh, scandals. Because mm. mm. it's not necessarily the goal to, some people, the cynical view is, oh, they're only doing it to provoke North Korea to become, uh, make a provocation to, to, to then ratchet up the tension because that's what we really want. That's not necessarily the case right. for all the activists that want to do this. But North Korean uh, residents who defected to South Korea testify that uh, they gather great deal of, uh, great, great amount of the information okay. about the outside world and uh, their situations by reading the leaflets. Let's then talk about the reactions to this, uh, Professor Huang. Uh, first, let's talk about the, the North Korean reaction, namely, um, I guess, the high-profile reaction coming from Kim Yo-jung, the sister of Kim Jong-un, who's been recently elevated to a prominent position, really becoming sort of the, the mouthpiece, or I guess, to put it more bluntly, the attack dog, uh, of the, the voice of the attack dog uh, for North Korea. Very harsh criticisms against uh, South Korea. We also have the U.S. side uh, talking about what they feel concerns about it. First, with Kim Yo-jung, what are your views on, on how she has become so... Um, 
very, very almost insulting and, and uh, quite uh, belligerent towards even Moon Jae-in. Well, it's kind of uh, educational in the sense that we're kind of encountering all kinds of North Korean vocabulary when it comes to insults. I mean, because these insults are not something that we use. We sort of have to yeah. get some yeah. kind of translation about just exactly how insulting are these words because, you know, we don't really use those words in our everyday vocabulary. Right. So are they really insulting or are they just kind of, kind of diplomatically insulting? I think, you know, it's, it's not something that really, you know, hits uh, South Koreans all that closely at home. But of course, I think from the political standpoint, I think it's a big, again, big liability for the Moon administration in the sense that, you know, because, you know, we hear lots of insulting language coming, well, supposed to be insulting language coming from North Korea, but the Moon administration seems to be, okay, we are going to be practicing strategic uh, patience and sort of that looks like, you know, why are you not, you know, hitting back? At At least I think that would be the kind of immediate reaction from most of the South Korean public. Yeah, there's a bit of a turn the other cheek type of um, uh, thing going on with with the Blue House as as far as Kim Yo-jong is concerned. And it's really in stark contrast because I think much was made during the 2018 season when we had the series of summits, how there seemed to be quite um, a warm chemistry between President Moon Jae-in and Kim Yo-jong, right? They were always very smiling with each other. It was always noted how they seemed to kind of be very much get along. Yeah, and and all of that. And they had built up a rapport. But (laughs) we we see that the the, the rhetoric coming out. um, I mean, these are words attributed to Kim Yo-jong. We don't know whether she is actually personally the one that's composing uh, these diatribes. Uh, That doesn't uh, remain to be seen. What, What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, the only thing, uh, the, the only way that we can uh, prove uh, whether Professor Huang's uh, argument is correct or not is that, Professor Huang, why don't we try those uh, diatribes to Henry, right? Okay. Wh- whether there is insulting enough, even by the South Korean standards. Henry, you are boiled head of ox, and you are top-class moron. Do you feel insulted? A little bit, but sometimes you feel like the words are so outlandish that you kind of go, am I being trolled right now? Right, right. right? Like, is it, what is if I call you yeah. Nette? Is it sarcastic? Right? You, I mean, you stammered, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, I, I remember, do you feel insulted? Um, I'm okay because I know your your heart is a, a very kind of like affectionate okay. heart towards me, so I know that it's not necessarily I mean, a boost. Me being <laughs> kind of you know, knowing nothing about North Korean yeah. current you know vocabulary, hearing those words, I mean, I mean, those are insulting. But I guess you know, as far as insults go, you sort of have to know you know what levels of insult, yeah. right? Yeah, Do, that just do, doesn't hit to me. So it's like it, you know, it reminds me of the thing. Remember when Trump and Kim Jong Un were Trump said Rocket Man, and then they called suicide mission. Yeah, and they called Trump daughter, and we're like, what, what's daughter? And we all went to our Merriam-Webster right, dictionary right, right, right. and looked that up. So uh, it's interesting how the rhetoric is going. Let, let's talk about then the, the U.S. response, the congressional hearing, the, the human rights issues involved with this. Uh, on the one hand, there might be, as you said, people don't like their own governments being criticized, like North Koreans just reading those pamphlets and seeing that kind of criticism. But So you might think, well, the U.S. doesn't really have a right to dictate what, what South Korea should and should not do in terms of cre- creating their own sovereign laws. Uh, but on the other hand, I guess there are, being, uh, there are some concerns being expressed out there. And plus, there are you know, a few notable conservatives in the, in the U.S. who doesn't like what the Moon administration is doing. So I think it aligns with the, that narrative that, you know, the Moon administration is actively undermining, you know, uh, America's own North Korean policy. So it's, it's not a big contingency like anti-Iran contingency within uh, in Washington, D.C., but it, it is, you know, sizable people who, a number of people who feel like, you know, the Moon administration is not really, you know, helping to, uh, to, with, with the North Korean situation. Yeah. Uh, what are your uh, views on the congressional uh, hearings? 
Um, I don't think that the congressional hearings uh, sponsored by the U.S. Congress uh, should be regarded as um, United States intervening in domestic affairs of South Korea or infringement of the sovereign rights okay. of South Korea as an independent country because that is an integral part of U.S. foreign policy in history. Do you remember that the Carter administration, uh, who was very emphatic about combining human rights with the foreign policy in the 1980s, mm. was extremely critical of human rights violations and the dictatorship uh, by Park Jong-hee administration. Mm-hmm. So when uh, President Jimmy Carter made an official visit to South Korea, he refused to stay in the guest house provided by the South Korean government of Park Jong-hee, but he instead stayed in the, within the uh, U.S. military base. as an act of protest and mm. criticism to Park mm. Jong-hee. The Park Jong-hee, Jimmy Carter summit meeting was recorded as one of the most difficult and um, turbulent uh, summit meetings ever in history, according to the witnesses. So, advancing and promoting human rights as a part of the foreign policy goals ha- have been the integral part of U.S. foreign policy. So, there's no reason for South Korean government to be overly sensitive to that. Having said that, I also want to add that uh, the conservative voice inside South Korean society is a disappointing. I mean, they were very emphatic about importance of promoting and protecting North Korean residents' rights to know and the freedom of speech exercised by South Korean citizens. All right, I'm all for those rights as a universal human rights. Then, then what happened during the Park Geun-hye administration? about five years ago, mm-hmm. the government pushed the, uh, the nationalization of the publication of unified history textbook. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, President Park Geun-hye sued the Japanese reporter, Sanke reporter in Seoul, because of his article questioning the whereabouts of President Park Geun-hye for seven hours during the Seoul ferry sinking mm-hmm. incident. Mm-hmm. So, This government uh, may be criticized for lack of uh, commitment to the promotion and protection of freedom of speech by conservative critics. But conservatives in South Korean politics have their own bad history during the Park Geun-hye administration. If you are all for freedom of speech and rights to know, then can you really agree on the nationalization of history textbook? Only one textbook issued by government? for your students? And what about not condoning the report by foreign media and domestic media as well about the president's whereabouts in critical situations? So we have two bad examples in Park Geun-hye administration and Moon Jae-in administration. By the way, Moon Jae-in administration just dropped its sue for this South Korean young man who has been uh, uh, sued by the uh, the allegedly Blue House, uh, for condemnation and defamation of the President Moon Jae-in. For two years, for two years, this South Korean man has been dearly suffering from this uh, police investigation and prosecution. Yes. Do, not, do not talk about freedom of speech. Right. You know, practice it. 
That young man, though, was a uh, Senate Party operative who was actually it trying to work for the National Assembly. It doesn't matter. Party affiliation should not be the it, priority it, issue. It's right? a little bit different from a random 30-year-old And then the, um, the lawyer person. representing the, the right. plaintiff never revealed that who right. actually sued this young point man. Taken, point it, taken. It must be the president. Right. Right. Point taken overall with freedom of speech and, and Two expression. Two wrongs do not make one right. But uh, very, very different uh, from what we're talking about North Korea. Let's talk, let's talk North Korea policy review because uh, we have... Biden's kind of new foreign policy team, very different from the Trump approach, obviously. Uh, Antony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, uh, key uh, national security officials here. Uh, I still don't really understand what the North Korea policy review uh, outcome is, although it's kind of maybe strategically uh, being ambiguous right now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely uh, you know, ambiguous in the sense that they haven't really you know, put out any kind of printed material that lays out what the strategic goals and strategic, you know, the roadmap going forward. And also telling is that, you know, in previous administrations, you know, both Trump, you know, Obama and Bush years, there has always been somebody who's sort of designated as a special envoy for North Korea. You know, you might remember, you know, Stephen Began or Song Kim or Christopher Hill. And all those names are kind of familiar to us because those were, you know, designated state officials who were dedicated for, you know, North Korean negotiation and all things North Korea. The Biden hasn't appointed uh, such a person. I mean, it, it may do so, do so going forward, but the fact that you know the, the policy review has been done, but no such person has been appointed, kind of makes you wonder how seriously is the Biden administration really taking North Korean issue? Maybe at this point, is maybe it's, you know taking the back seat. So do you feel that there needs to be an appointment on North Korea as it stands right now? Or do you think that's a strategic thing intentionally by the Biden administration to signal that, well, we are, we're showing what our priorities are with foreign policy and, and obviously North Korea is not top of the list? Well, I mean, if you want you know, the U.S. government to be pushing North Korean issues in some way, I mean, there has to be For somebody, good or bad, you think you need, Good yeah. or bad, somebody who's yeah. championing this and really, really thinking about this full time and constantly talking to North Korea and letting North Korea know that if you really want to talk to us, one, one U.S official who's going to really cover everything, this is the designated person you should talk to. Biden administration doesn't have that. I mean, what is North Korea going to do? Pick up a phone and say, well, Secretary Blinken, you know, can, can we talk now? I mean, that's really uh, th- that's really not going to happen. So, you know, and, you know, in a few days, maybe Biden administration will appoint a, a such person. Who knows? But so far, the fact that it hasn't done so maybe yeah. you know is, is a signal that it doesn't really take North Korean issues all that seriously. And of course, it is the COVID nineteen era, so maybe you know, it doesn't want to really get distracted by foreign policies all that much. Yeah. Well, what about your uh, thoughts on the North? Well, Korean I policy pay attention review? to the timing of the announcement made by the White House uh, press secretary uh, Jen Psaki that uh, the North Korea policy of the Biden administration has been finally finalized. Uh, that announcement came. Uh, more than two weeks prior to the upcoming summit meeting between uh, President Joe Biden and uh, President Moon Jae-in of South Korea. Mm-hmm. That indicates that Biden administration is not really interested in listening to and incorporating any inputs that could be possibly made by President Moon Jae-in during the summit meeting. So Biden administration is set to go its way. Uh, with or without South Korea's uh, agreement or any additional inputs. What does that, what, what is that policy though? What is their own way? Do you, can you, can you articulate way, that We should first? wait for the specific content because all we have is, as Professor Fang correctly uh, explained, is the announcement that the Biden administration has finished the review of North Korea policy. But more details should be made and announced by more uh, 
you know, responsible government officials are actually involved in uh, policy execution, like uh, Jake Sullivan, White House National mm-hmm. Security Advisor. So contents are not ready yet or announced yet. That, that explains why North Korean authorities have been rather restrained, right? Yeah. It only uh, reiterates its uh, long-standing position that we uh, oppose the United States' hostile policy toward our republic, but mm-hmm. nothing beyond that. I guess I was asking because I, I know you have a lot of insider sources in Washington. I was just wondering if you had any hints or clues as to um, what potential contents or the well, it's a between the be. uh, the Bush, uh, I'm sorry, Trump administration's uh, uh, top down uh, approach, top down and uh, um, all in one, right? North Korea brings all the issues on the table. United States bring all the issues on the table and make a big big deal. deal. No. Uh, and it's uh, different from the Obama administration's strategic, uh, strategic patience, right? You have to move first. You have to move first. So no dialogue, no negotiation. It's uh, something in the middle, right? Uh, we have to talk anything small but substantial, right? And you're going to gradually build mutual trust and make step-by-step progress. Hopefully, uh, when, when that comes out, uh, there will be enough, I guess, bandwidth for everybody involved here to, to focus on that issue. But I think Professor Huang made the the key point here is for the Biden administration, still, right to this day, number one priority is the COVID-19 pandemic, make sure the vaccination programs are successful, and to get the American economy going again. So they've been focusing all of their political capital on legislation that would pass to do that, right? The recent COVID bill, and then now trying to push for this big infrastructure package. Um, Korea should also, as you've been kind of beating the drums, also focus on that as, as far as the main priority, right? Uh, COVID-19 vaccination and, and getting this country healthy, uh, both uh, health-wise and economically. North Korea also probably in the midst of a huge crisis in terms of COVID-19. It seems like that's really been their um, kind of big Achilles heel to, to prevent them from being able to do anything otherwise provocative or not. Where do you think uh, we're going to be going in the next few months with all of us still focused on COVID-19? Well, for North Korea, in terms of negotiating with the United States, I mean, my feeling is that wouldn't they just fall back on their old playbook, which is, you know, to try something really provocative and say that, well, unless you come Mm -hmm. to the negotiating table and give us something, we'll keep doing our Mm -hmm. provocative things. So, you know, I expect, you know, you know. A matter of days, weeks, and months, maybe we'll see probably some missile tests and, you know, God forbid, maybe even, you know, additional nuclear test. Wow. I mean, I guess okay. that would be kind of, you know, their tried and true you know, playbook in the, in the past few years. Any final thoughts on this? According to the recent media report, the Chinese government is really rushing vaccination. Uh, about uh, uh, 3 million Chinese have received the vaccination. Although mm-hmm. China is a very small country in terms of size of population, right? Yeah. So if uh, many Chinese people will be free from the danger of infection of COVID-19, the China-North Korea trade will be resumed, which is a big boon for North Korea. You think they can share some of that Chinese vaccine to North Korea eventually? That depends on the decision by North Korean authority. But at least the Chinese people will do business and trade with North Koreans. That's good for North Korean economy to uh, come out of this uh, long Offerings. Yeah, and I think that you make that point that it also gives them a little leeway and wiggle room where they do not feel over leveraged when when speaking with North Korea uh, with the U.S. now to discuss the aspect of sanctions relief, which right, obviously right, is their number right. one priority in all this. All right, very interesting uh, discussion. As always, I want to uh, thank our panelists, uh, Professor Huang as well as Dr. Pong. We're going to have to say goodbye. Uh, we hope you enjoy the program. Coming up next is Life Abroad, hosted by Nasing Yen. So please stay tuned for that, and we will be back tomorrow for another. Another edition of This Morning at 7 a.m. Until then, 
Please enjoy the rest of your day. This has been Henry Shin. Goodbye.